If we're going to be people who take the Bible seriously, then we need to be people who take words seriously. There's nothing worse than a lazy approach to words where we assume that they mean something, when in actual fact um, uh, they mean something different. Someone once said that um, uh, words are pegs to hang, hang ideas on, and I think that's right. I think um, in order to understand a word correctly, you need to understand what it was intended to mean. You need to understand the context in which it was formed. And um, words and the understanding of words have played some critical parts in the history of church and our understanding of the gospel. One very famous um, uh, event was uh, Martin Luther, who have you been with us? For the last few months, you'll know something more about this figure who is at the heart of the Reformation, one of the most uh, significant moments in the history of the church, uh, and someone who had to really uh, reclaim the gospel for himself. And uh, one of the turning points for him was his understanding of a word. It was a word in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And uh, uh, the verse says this, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And it might seem strange to us, um, but for Luther, that was um, a verse which struck terror into his heart, that he understood that that righteousness from God which was revealed was uh, judgment. It was something which was going to come crushing down on him, and he, um, deeply conscious of his own sinfulness, um, was in fear of this righteousness that got from God that was to be revealed. Um, And it was his process of meditating on that verse and realising that the righteousness that Paul spoke of in Romans Uh, far from being God's judgment, was a gift. And it was something that could be claimed by faith. And uh, in that discovery, um, Luther rediscovered the gospel of salvation, that uh, he, a sinner, could, by faith in Jesus Christ, um, receive God's mercy. Now, that's a a really important story, but I've always found myself slightly confused by it. I never really understood why it was that Martin Luther confused this righteousness as a gift um, with the idea of God's Uh, judgment coming down upon him. I didn't understand his confusion over that word until I realised this. That in both the Old Testament in Hebrew and in the New Testament written in Greek, there are not two separate words for righteousness and justice. There is one word. In uh, the Old Testament it is uh, tzedek and uh, in the New Testament it is uh, dikaiosine. And both of those words are translated either as righteousness or justice. Now that seems strange to us because in our minds those two concepts are very different. Righteousness is somehow a a personal trait. It is um, being right with God. It is a kind of moral or spiritual quality which you either um, have for yourself or uh, as we understand the gospel is is given to you personally. And justice is somehow a corporate concept. Um, You would talk about uh, a just society, a just nation or a, a just world. And um, it's strange that, that, they all, that the Bible actually does not have two separate words for those things. Leslie Newbigin, who was um, a very significant 20th century theologian who wrote uh, uh, a lot on mission and culture um, from his perspective of working in uh, the subcontinent of India, um, uh, observed that one of the things about Western society is it has a, a, a tendency in so many spheres of life to divorce uh, private and public. And that simply isn't the case in other places. It wasn't the case in India, and uh, it's not the case in uh, Jewish Hebrew culture. Um, And I think we've done it with this concept. We have divorced one concept into two separate spheres. So we understand righteousness as something private, something personal, and um, 
justice as something corporate. So think again about some of the, um, some of the most famous verses in uh, the Gospels. Um, for example, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's um, uh, understood as a, a fairly personal uh, concept. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, um, to be right with God. There is that word dikaiosin, um, which can equally be translated as justice. So here the verse again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. That is a completely different concept in our minds. Uh, because of our uh, narrow understanding of words, uh, we don't get the whole picture. It's not that one is a right translation, one is a wrong translation, but in order to understand uh, the, the phrases it was originally intended, we need to understand the whole spectrum of it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we understand as a sort of personal seeking after God. Whereas blessed, and th blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice uh, would look completely different to us. And they're not two different concepts. How about this one? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or his justice. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his justice looks completely different. Seeking righteousness we see as somehow a personal thing. It's an inward process. Whereas seeking God's justice is an outward process. You see what we've done? We've divorced the two spheres of private and public. The Bible doesn't allow us to do that. Now, the reason this has all become such an issue is because of this book of Isaiah that we're uh, studying through. I found myself um, slightly shocked and, and certainly deeply surprised by the theme of justice, which uh, runs right through this book. And in uh, this chapter we're going to be looking at uh, today in uh, Isaiah 42, um, it, it's here again. But uh, remember the opening chapter where it all started, chapter one, and it's uh, God's uh, complaint against his people. And um, the reason, he says, he's turning, their, uh, turning his back on them. He says uh, in verse 15, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. I'm not listening to you anymore. Um, and why? Because your hands are full of blood. Take your evil deeds out of my sight, says the Lord. Stop doing wrong, learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Isaiah is very clear that God loves justice. Not just justice in terms of um, his judgment being revealed, but justice um, in the way that we live our lives, justice in the way that we run our societies. These things matter to God. And it was the absence of these things which made him turn his back on the nation of Israel. Likewise, in, um, in our home groups, we've been looking at uh, the Minor Prophets at the end of the Old Testament, and um, uh, the same theme is very clear through them. In uh, Micah chapter 3, uh, the Lord says, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. So in this um, chapter that we're looking at, Isaiah 42, um, we have the remarkable prospect of God declaring his intent, what he is intending to do about this problem. Look at um, verse 9 of chapter 42. It says, See, the former things have taken place, and a new thing I declare. Before they spring into being, I will announce them to you. This is um, a, a, a tremendously exciting passage, actually. It's one of uh, a number of points in the Old Testament where God announces ahead of time uh, the new project, the new covenant which he um, is going to bring into being. The old things have passed away, the uh, nation of Israel and that very um, focused concern for one group of people and um, uh, God's new 
covenant, not just with Israel, but with all of the people of the world. And this new covenant, this new project is focused around a, a king, um, or uh, as described here, a servant. And uh, verse 1 says, um, here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. We, of course, see in this prophecy of Isaiah um, a picture of Jesus and uh, of the, uh, the project, which was the, the kingdom of God, which he announced. And we've seen that um, uh, it, it is the, the book of Isaiah which uh, seems to provide the foundation for Jesus' understanding of his own ministry. Um, all of the Gospels quote Isaiah, and uh, regularly Jesus uses the words of Isaiah as he um, uh, goes about his ministry. In fact, uh, Matthew uh, in chapter 12, quotes this very chapter of Isaiah in order to explain one aspect of Jesus' ministry. And it's, uh, it's these verses, um, uh, verses uh, 2 and 3. Matthew writes, verse 15 of chapter 12, uh, Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place, and many followed him, and he healed all the sick, warning them not to tell who he was. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice on the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. There's that strange phenomenon with Jesus, isn't there, where... Um, uh, he'll do remarkable things and then he'll tell people not to talk about him, not to tell people about him, which seems um, the exact opposite of what we want them to do. Um, and uh, Jesus understood that from Isaiah, uh, that uh, he will not um, quarrel or cry out. No one will uh, hear his voice in the streets, um, that this kingdom wasn't going to become by the power of Jesus' argument, by him uh, shouting about it. It was going to come through a gentle service and uh, suffering and ultimately through the cross and who are those who are called into this kingdom well uh, first and foremost it is um, the broken and the doubting and the suffering Isaiah uh, uh, uses this uh, analogy of um, the the bruised reed and the smoldering wick reeds grew everywhere along the banks of the river Jordan and they were really useful you could make all sorts of things out of them you um, I can make paper out of them, you can make uh, writing instruments out of them, you could use them for construction. Um, but uh, they bruised very easily, they would sort of dent and at that point they would uh, lose all of their strength and fall over and people would just snap them off and uh, throw them away. And um, uh, Jesus was not going to treat people in that way, even the broken and the apparently useless were going to become uh, central figures. And look at the 12 people he chose to be his disciples, who he chose to be the foundation of the church by human standards. They uh, were of no great significance or no great worth, and yet Jesus chooses them. And this picture of um, a smouldering wick of um, a flame which is almost extinguished, and uh, Jesus um, isn't going to despise that, but is going to uh, reignite it and uh, bring it back to life. And what is the aim of all of this? What is the, the overarching purpose? Well, verse 3. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Now, if um, I, was, uh, I was to ask you to explain to me what the gospel was, I expect that we would both say something like this. We'd say that the gospel is about um, accepting that uh, I'm a sinner, um, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and confessing that he is Lord so that I might have 
everlasting life. And uh, that's a, a fantastic, um, uh, uh, simple explanation of what the gospel is. That is the, the good news that someone like Luther rediscovered, that um, uh, God cares about individuals and wants to see them brought back into relationship with him, and that uh, through the cross of Christ we can uh, find our sins forgiven and our relationship with God restored. It's um, a foundational truth for us. But the thing that I've been struck with through this book of Isaiah is that uh, the scope of our understanding of the gospel is far too small. Yes, that personal salvation is critical to who we are, but I'm worried that we have uh, allowed it to stop there and our um, faith has become a narrow, personal thing. It is just about the question, um, what must I do right now to be right with God? How can I be sure of my salvation? I fear that somewhere down the line we have missed the scope and extent of the kingdom of God and of God's purposes for our world. And these issues, which clearly uh, by Isaiah's standards would be uh, profoundly important to God, we have kind of neglected. Um, even when we know that something like justice is an important issue, um, our faith has become personalised and we don't see and we don't see the connection between the two things. Certainly one of my issues was that this, um, it took the Old Testament for me to see this agenda, that my reading of the New Testament didn't place this at any great priority. And then I read this. It would never occur to anyone reading the New Testament in its original Greek that it did not speak of justice, because the Greek word uh, dikaios, which means both justice and righteousness, occurs uh, hundreds of times throughout the New Testament. There is a clear continuity between this language of Isaiah and the prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus' language of the New Testament. But our choice of translation, our choice of the word that we choose to use, has, uh, has created this distinction. How have we got to this stage? Um, how have we got to the state where uh, one concept has been divorced into two and it's had a, a, a profoundly significant impact on our reading of the Bible? Um, well, I've already suggested one thing. I've already suggested that um, we bring with, it, with us our kind of uh, Western tendency to divorce the um, uh, private and the public, and that divorce um, uh, has no place. It's, 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 it's wrong. Um, but let me suggest uh, two other things. Um, the second thing is that um, we tend to read our New Testament through the lens of the Reformation and, and through the lens of the issues that were uh, of prime importance in those in that day and so the theology and uh, the issues being wrestled with by great figures such as Martin Luther uh, shape our understanding of the Bible and that's absolutely right that they do but any human movement will have both strengths and weaknesses and for all of the strength of the Reformation in kind of re-establishing uh, a theology of personal salvation its weakness was that uh, over time it has undermined the concept of our corporate responsibility, our responsibility to one another and to our society and to our world. That's um, understanding of the word righteousness uh, purely as a narrow and personal concept, missing the whole aspect of, um, of righteousness as justice and righteousness as a corporate activity. And that's a really dangerous thing. Um, that was the mistake that the Pharisees made in um, Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! 
You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill and your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, which are justice, mercy and faithfulness. My concern is that in our uh, focusing on the narrow and personal understanding of the gospel, we have ignored some of um, uh, uh, equally, if not more important aspects of uh, the gospel, and they are uh, justice, mercy and faithfulness. And my third take on how we got to this was um, a more political one, and this is uh, to do with um, our nation's understanding of justice. Um, our legal system is, is based on uh, a philosophy of justice and, um, uh, amongst others, uh, the work of people like um, uh, John Locke, who's a, a 16th century um, lawyer and um, legal philosopher, uh, and whose work was really very influential both in this country and uh, particularly in America in the framing of uh, um, uh, documents like their Declaration of Independence and their Constitution. And um, uh, in the second paragraph of that Declaration of Independence is work, uh, are words which really resonate with uh, Locke's thinking. Um, uh, it says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that amongst these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. John Locke, when he talks about what a just nation is, uh, in, for example, his second treatise on civil government, uh, spoke of a society that is just when each person is free to pursue good, uh, to pursue a good life as they see fit, provided that they accord the same liberty to others. Now, we have to acknowledge that that's, um, that's a good concept. That's a, uh, uh, certainly a more just world than uh, the world that they were reacting against, that sort of uh, medieval, medieval hierarchical uh, world. All men are, are treated as equals is a, a really good concept, although, of course, they didn't manage to apply that to people who were slaves. But on the whole, we want to endorse that uh, statement of equality. Uh, but as good as that is, it is not a biblical understanding of what justice looks like. And if we allow um, the Bible to shape um, our thinking on justice, if we allow uh, God's understanding of justice to be ours, justice isn't a situation um, or a state where people are treated as equal. Justice is a place where we uh, give priority to some amongst us. And the ones who we give priority to are the least amongst us, the most vulnerable, the widows and the fatherless, the marginalised and the exploited. And the reason we do that is because uh, if it is a level playing field, then the people who are already powerful or intelligent or rich, um, they will be most successful. And uh, they're always in a, a, a position where they can theoretically exploit others. Um, a level playing field is not a fair playing field. God's understanding of justice is a nation where we prioritise the weakest amongst us. And uh, we're uh, watchful over those who are powerful um, in order that we have a situation where there is actually justice. The thing which Isaiah has been doing for us is um, to raise our sights to open our eyes to the extent and the glory and the wonder of God's purposes, um, of what he's um, seeking to achieve through this kingdom which is being built amongst us and through us, which we look forward to uh, coming in its fullness. Now, I'm only at the beginning of um, uh, working out what this means for us as a church um, and the implications of this uh, for our engagement with our, our, our world. But Two um, uh, brief conclusions. The first is that um, 
I find myself uh, deeply concerned by uh, the apathy which uh, has tended to mark the Christian church when it comes to these sort of issues. Someone uh, once said that um, washing your hands of the conflict between the powerful and the powerless means rather than being neutral, to side with the powerful. All it takes for evil men to prevail is for good men to do nothing, uh, as someone else said. These issues seem to be uh, a major issue for God, a major theme in the Bible, and I'm troubled that we've allowed ourselves to ignore them. And I want us to be um, uh, having this conversation and working this out. Um, my second conclusion is that I find this exciting. I find that um, uh, one of the questions we've been asking as church is, is what it means for us to be Christians in our world and in our workplace or our schools or homes or whatever. And um, uh, what does a gospel agenda look like? And we've always understood a gospel agenda is in terms of uh, doing evangelism, in terms of uh, going and explaining the gospel and trying to be, bring people into church. Now that's really important, that's something that we hold on to. But um, the, uh, the agenda of the kingdom uh, seems to be far bigger than that. And um, that this pursuit of uh, justice, this pursuit of, of bringing justice to the nations and to all people, um, that is at very least part of our witness to God and to his character. If we're going to represent God to the people who we meet, then we need to represent him in the fullness of his character and his purposes. Righteousness and justice are not two separate agendas, as I think we've fallen into the trap of thinking that they are. Uh, they are not, there is not one of them that is more important than the other. The two go hand in hand, and the purpose of uh, Jesus Christ the kingdom of God which he brings in is righteousness and it is justice. First and foremost for the least amongst us, but for the whole world. And I think we at Church on the Corner have an opportunity to, um, to wrestle with this. I want us to be people of uh, the word of God. I want us to be Bible pe people, but that in the, the full sense of the word. I want us to be um, uh, challenged and shaped by God's word, to be surprised by it. Um, and to have our lives directed by it. It is not enough for us to rest upon our laurels, to be satisfied that uh, uh, we have understood the gospel and responded to it, and so therefore are sure in our salvation. It is not nearly enough to do that. Uh, we are called to build this kingdom uh, in our lives and our families, in our church community, and in our world. And um, what that looks like, I don't yet know but I want us to be exploring this together. So let's be talking about this. Let's be praying about this and reading God's word and seeking his call upon our lives and our understanding of his character better. And let us go forth in confidence that Jesus goes ahead of us and he will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth.